Hello Internet, my name is Walter C.A.D.'s Fedchuk, and welcome back to another fantastic edition of the Final Cut Podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Um, I know the last episode probably caused some, uh, caused some issues with some viewers, um, and I'm just excited to have any conversation that we may have had over the past couple weeks with you guys. Um, I know a lot of people felt strongly about Dune, um, but it's great that we can all have our own opinions, have some calm, um, interesting discussions about maybe what we had missed and what you guys found so interesting about it. And when I say us, I of course mean my fantastic co-host, Chase, redshirt King Wassener. Chase, how are you doing on this lovely, lovely day? You know, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it's been uh, great to... It's a good time to be a movie fan in general, right? This time of year, a lot of award stuff starts to drop. A lot of different things falling into place. Uh, I saw two movies this weekend, one of which was really, really good, and the other of which we're talking about today. So it's been a good, it's been nice to really delve deeper into this. Um, and I love the final cut gives me the excuse to uh, go watch all of the things uh, in between my uh, big play sessions of the Ruined King video game, which is quite good for the record. Any of you who like turn-based RPGs uh, should go get it. It's quite good. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that because I know you've mentioned to me that you've been playing a lot of it, and uh, I'm interested in the game. However, I am still uh, about 53 hours into my playthrough of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, so I've still got double that <laughs> if I actually want to beat the game. So yeah, what what has Ruined King been like to you? I've, I've watched a few streamers, but I kind of want some of your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the way that they handle the characters in this game you know it's very character driven um all of the conversations you can have like as you go around the city you'll find certain locations in which certain players will react and have conversations together there are different like rest conversations that you can have with different characters and so it encourages you to keep mixing things up so that you can see all of the different interactions from everybody which is quite nice it's got a good mix of side quests in there um, that give it a surprising amount of content for a game that's only 30 bucks, you know? Um, it's very reasonable for its price point. And, you know, the combat does enough. I'm not going to say it's like revolutionizing turn-based strategy, but having the three lanes really adds an extra level of depth to combat that allows for a bunch of different, like, boss and uh, monster design that requires you to really think ahead. Um, you can't just take every battle the same way or you're going to get yourself in trouble. And I do appreciate that. So uh, certainly a lot to like. And again, at a $30 price point, it's a lot easier to sell on me on a game than a $60 price point. Um, and this one delivers. So highly recommend to turn-based strategy fans. Fantastic. As you're working on your uh, holiday season list here, then uh, maybe that's something that you can uh, throw on there for the potential gift givers in your life. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I've been playing a lot of that game. Um, man, like, I understand the whole, like, Ubisoft tries to jam as much, like, random crap into a game just to keep you engaged with it and just, you know, life service type bullshit um mm. but i've enjoyed the setting i've enjoyed being a viking 
which is something that the Assassin's Creed series has always, when they nail the sort of um, the setting and the type of character you are playing, it's really, really fun. I, I have not played some of the more recent Assassin's Creed games. I sort of stopped after um, uh, Black, like the Black Flag trilogy, um, and I really enjoyed Black Flag and its counterpart, which now the name is escaping me, uh, Rogue, Assassin's Creed Rogue, which is honestly one of my favorite like niche kind of a lot of people haven't played it type games because Assassin's Creed 3 just puts such a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's been fun being a Viking and sailing around and going to like Ireland. The first DLC they did was Ireland and I basically just like spent three or four days just playing through that DLC by myself. Got a really cool spear from killing Balog. So, like, that's been really fun. That's been absorbing a lot of my time. Um, Obviously, the other Riot property that has come out over the past couple weeks, Arcane, also, uh, also took up a bit of my time. And I know inside baseball chase and i are kind of deciding how we want to handle that in the background here so whether we do an episode about it or something else i know that i have a lot of thoughts um, we will but I do will something say, that yes. is a future a future show tbd stay tuned because yes. holy shit just hold if you haven't watched it this is your heads up obviously we're not spoiling anything here because this is not about uh arcane but fucking go watch it just be be prepared so you can talk about it with us when it comes out because holy shit that ending it's not wow riot really went above and beyond that's all i'm gonna say about that when when riot decides they want to tell a story they can tell a story unlike (laughs) (laughs) unlike Actually, I, I know I'm emphasizing, I'm like emphasizing that a little bit for dramatic effect, but uh, as you saw in the title, today we are going to be discussing uh, Marvel uh, MCU movie Eternals uh-huh. uh, came out uh, this past week, uh, past week that we we're recording this. And um, man, I, I have thoughts on it. My thoughts are not nearly as deep as my Dune thoughts, um, but Chase... As we were kind of talking about this in prep, you said I have a better poker face than you, so let's get you out of the way. What were your thoughts on Disney and Marvel's Eternals? God, this movie sucks. This movie's real, real unfortunate. I There are so many decisions that it makes that I just found myself questioning how in the world we got here. Like, how this was the script that got approved and shot and this was the order that they wanted to put scenes together in. And these were the characters that we were meant to get along with. It is perplexing in a way that is kind of fascinating to talk about. But like as a film, I, I, whew, I have so many questions and none of the answers would really help. That's the... That's the worst part. There's no good answers to these questions. It's just, what a mess. What a mess of a film. What about you? Are you are you kinder to it than I am, or is this going to be a, a good hour of dunking on a bad film? Because I'm ready for both. Well, well, here's the thing. So I under, I, I'll just come out right on and say it. I actually kind of enjoyed it. 
I actually kind of enjoyed the film. And let me just, I want to just set the scene for you guys. I don't know how often I've mentioned this on the podcast. I don't think very much. Um, But originally, when Chase and I were sort of coming up with what movies we wanted to do, um, I had zero interest in this film. Nothing about the trailers, nothing about the little, like, nuggets that I had read prior, about the characters, about the setting, like, all that stuff. None of it was interesting to me because it there's this ginormous question hanging over its head of, well, if there were a bunch of, like, eternal celestial demigods, um, why didn't they get involved when, like, Ultron was around? Or Thanos was around? Or literally when any bad thing happened over the course of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, or in fact the history of the world, because they've been here forever. Um, And they answered that question. Um, They answered that question in the same way that Christianity answers that question, which is kind of like, humans have free will. As an agnostic... That doesn't sit right with me. I don't well, like that answer. No, but Walter, it's see, you're allowed to manipulate people's free will when it comes to giving them technologies at whatever speed that you deem appropriate and no slower or faster. But it's not okay when it stops genocide because. Oh, don't get me into this moral discussion because, oh, no, I don't, I, mm, I, I mean, this movie has a problem with that in general. Like, there are a lot of things that feel like it should be a huge problem that this movie just doesn't have a problem with or doesn't bring up as if it's a problem. But then they have a chance to have a real moral quandary here and question, like, maybe they were wrong to let all of the genocide happen that whole time. But never comes up. Not a, a just a, a punt all around. And it's very frustrating. And that's before we get into the mind control guy, who is baffling as a choice to put in this film. Absolutely <laughs> baffling that someone would put that in a film, have him run a cult in the middle of the forest, and have him be a good guy. Like, that's fine. He's fine. They they mentioned that he's better than that once, and so then he's able to rejoin, and everyone's cool with the cult leader. Are they good guys, Chase? I, they think they are. I mean, that's... I guess here's the funny thing, right? Like, the movie, if you were to ask the, like, director's production, all of this, like, what is the central conflict of the movie... Like, obviously you've got the Celestial that's coming back, but that only really comes up about halfway through the film, maybe like a third of the way, because time, the movie's so long that waiting an hour is still only a third of the way through. Um, But, like, that conflict really only comes up at the very end, and it doesn't, like... It only drives the characters in so much as it allows a team that we haven't had chances to get invested with in previous films forced to take sides against each other as if the betrayal of one side versus the other is going to matter to us. Um, And so, like, the moral questions of, like, are we the baddies... It's so weird. It's not willing to commit to the idea that, like, maybe allowing billions of people to die so that billions more can live is 
complex and could have strong arguments to both sides. Nah, we just, one of them's evil, and even the guy who mind controls people under his will to run his whole cult out in the middle of the forest, that guy is fine compared to everyone else. I don't get it, man. I don't know what this film thinks well, its politics are, but the more you dive in, the more it doesn't look great. Listen, betrayal matters more and feels more intense when they don't telegraph it from six freaking stars, uh, six solar systems away. Like, I know I, I asked this question in the pre in the pre discussion that you have you watched the boys the amazon prime series uh i got some real homelander vibes off of icarus the entire time just this dispassionate like the way he just like levitated just everything about the character i was like uh, he's sus he's pretty suspicious and i just didn't know whether it was going to be the like typical you know once once spoilers everybody ladies and gentlemen if you haven't understood the show by now we spoiled the crap out of these movies so if you really care about this movie you, and want to see it please pause now and go watch the movie don't don't worry about it honestly don't <laughs> spoilers aren't gonna be the thing that well, makes or breaks your experience for this one i don't think <laughs> well <laughs> welcome back uh if you did spend almost three hours of your life watching this movie uh, welcome back uh so when ajax Selma hayek's character mm -hmm. dies at that point, I was like, cool, now we're going to get the, like, power struggle of the, like, appointed heir apparent, uh, or, or, like, who you think is going to take over the group in Icarus, which a number of them are like, yeah, you're, you're going to be, you're, like, you're the next leader, it's obvious that's what Ajax's doing, and the actual chosen heir, Cersei, and the just way that Icarus, like, kept deferring to her because he loves her quotation yeah. marks like it's just like oh my god you're the bad guy you're the bad guy you're the one that they're gonna fight at the end of this because of course they have to fight you at the end of this because they have to fight someone because they're not gonna fight literal god <laughs> in, in the well i mean man it would be such a shame if they fought the deviants who are supposed to be the big thing that they're fighting the whole time and they have one who's clearly evolving by absorbing people's powers and is like a super deviant and that whole thing is meaningless. It goes, it like, it, it creates a good old shock death when they kill off Gilgamesh and otherwise serves no purpose in the plot. There is never a true reckoning with the idea that both the Deviants and the Eternals have way more in common than they do apart because it's only there so that Thena can have a fight thing and finally, I guess, overcome... Whoa. Whoa something what what was her arc about being shattered because she understands the weight of the sins of all the worlds that they've destroyed previously resolved by killing the deviant who can talk did that resonate with anyone did that matter i don't know that it mattered but the movie seems to think it did i will not fault a bad script on angelina jolie i thought with what she was given sure. i thought the the Thena character was I, pretty good like, actually, I'll put it this way. I thought with the script that all of these people were given, I think all the actors did a pretty good job with what Much they like were Much like Black Widow, the majority of my criticism is on the script rather than any individual acting performance. Though I will admit that I was not... Um, Richard Madden as Icarus was fine. 
it, I like, I, I don't know. He tried to do the cold thing um, maybe a little bit too well and that I didn't grasp onto anything that he was throwing out there, even in situations in which theoretically you would have wanted to grasp, you know, like villains can be compelling for their reasons. Um, you know, you can be interested even if you can see the twist coming because you could be invested in who the character is and why other people in that party care about him. Uh, but you don't in this film because he doesn't have anything to latch on to, despite the amount of time that they spend in flashbacks, which we, I, the formatting of this was wild. I don't know why they felt the need to go back and forth and back and forth constantly instead of just like showing us the past, showing them split up, and it's, then a movie. It's because they're eternal. Oh, you, I understand <laughs> the value of the scenes in the past, but you could have just shown the movie in chronological order, and it would have been better, because we would have seen all the Eternals interacting with each other before we see one of them die. Like, Selma Hayek's character dying meant nothing. There is no emotional impact because we do not know her outside of, like, one flashback by that point. It's just like, oh, no, this character we never got to know about is dead. I guess that's a shame. Like, it's such a terrible way to just throw away a character, right? It did nothing to advance the plot. Um, same with Gilgamesh's death, by the way. That does absolutely nothing to help anybody outside of just raising the stakes, I guess. But it only raises the stakes towards the villain who isn't the main villain, because the person that they would be all mad at about that is not the person that's driving the conflict at the end. Uh, they do obviously bring the Deviant back for that Thana fight, but like, while the Thana fight is going on, um, everyone else is dealing with the actual plot of the film. Which is, again, a very wild thing that like no one saw that scene It was like, you know... Maybe we should uh, reshoot some scenes or like cut a couple of things based on the fact that like this doesn't seem very relevant to the overall plot anymore, despite how much time we spent on it earlier. And they just never did that. Um, ah, it's weird. It's so weird. I, I I will definitely agree that the the deviants are unnecessary in quotation marks because you're right they don't really add anything to the plot other than giving this like mirror dichotomy later on in the film when the realization is like we're both constructs that were created to advance the civilization of a planet to a point where a celestial can hatch out of it and destroy the we're planet. not so different and you go Right, like, and you go, well, that doesn't seem great, and then you have the entire Arishem discussion with Cersei where he then, like, justifies this and says, right, but we destroy one planet of billions of people, and we create so many more solar systems that then create, you know, hundreds of billions or trillions of people, and by that we then continue to perpetuate the birth of Celestials, but that doesn't do anything for the population that they're destroying and to me what the person that i saw the film with one of my friends uh we saw this at like at like one o'clock on a tuesday which was the level of interest that i had of this movie going into it 
And as I said earlier, like, I came out of it and I was pleasantly surprised how much I enjoyed it. That doesn't mean, like, this is an amazing film, this is a grade-A film, this is better than Shang-Chi or anything, or, like, No Time to Die levels based on the movies you've watched, but, like, it's better than Dune, because, you know, you can say everything you want about Richard Madden as Icarus, but at least he had the common courtesy to kill himself at the end of this movie, unlike Which, Timothy Chalamet's What the fuck character. was that about? Who flies? Like, there was nothing about his character that required him to fly into the sun. He hadn't had some, like, like, it was surreal. There wasn't anything about his character that seemed suicidal or, like, he was so afraid of the uh, Archam going back that he just didn't want to be there anymore. He's like, you know what? I lost fair and square, and since I helped you guys succeed on your thing, instead of doing the face turn that would make sense for the character arc that I was given, I'm going to literally fly into the sun. It was so stupid. Right. I almost laughed. Right, I almost not... laughed out loud when I saw him do that. <laughs> it made no sense. So one, so one, that's not Richard Madden's M.O. Richard Madden, as an actor, makes a mistake and then his character dies. That's, that's just what happens. But two... It's the Icarus mythology. Icarus didn't like, fly exactly into the sun. Is. His whole thing was that he flew super high so that he could be seen as a hero to people. Right. And then it melts his wings and he, he dies. He fly into the sun on purpose. That's not the way the plot goes. I oh, God. I just... Also, Listen, why is I, Athena I, the I god of but war? It's... She's not the god of war. That's Ares. Like, we already... Are we just doing that because we're mad that Wonder Woman made Ares the god of war already and you didn't want to do Ares too? Is that why we have to pretend that Athena's the god of war? Um, listen, listen, Mr. English Degree over here. I do not appreciate you using your mythology as a weapon against me when I'm trying to use mythology as a storytelling device as a weapon against you, okay? <laughs> this isn't fair. I just, I mean... I, I guess, like, I'm curious if people who liked the film enjoyed that moment or thought it was earned, because I was just perplexed. Like, I was expecting him to fly away, like, maybe to some other planet. He needs some alone time to figure his stuff out, and he'll come back at a later point in time, like so many other, like, you know, self-banishment thing. That would have made a lot of sense for his character. Do- Dr. But Manhattan. He flew into the sun. He was just like, nah, I'm good. I'm done living, I guess. Well, when one of your superpowers is that you can fly, um, you can't really fly too close to the sun. So to finish off the Icarus mythology, you have to literally fly into it. And in all honesty, um, we we don't know that he's well, dead. Here, here's the thing. Like, like if you want to go metaphorically that he flew too close to the sun, that's... Like, that's not the story that they told with his character, right? The pro- His fault was not hubris, thinking that he would say, I don't, like, like, you could argue, like, if you wanted to do an Icarus character, maybe, instead of having him just straight up kill Selma Hayek's character and just be a bad guy because he wants to do his job, maybe you could have him as a character that's trying to have it both ways, right? He wants to find a way to allow the Celestial to come back while still keeping the planet alive. And because he tries to do both, he flies too close to the sun and dies for it, right? Like, in his hubris, thinking that he could do it all, 
he came up short, and it cost everybody. But, nah, nah, there's no need to, to play on that. Or, mm-hmm. or, I got a okay. better one for you. Instead, instead of it being Festos's fault that Hiroshima <laughs> gets bombed, maybe it's Icarus's fault, because he was trying to push the humans forward too fast and he got too close to the sun by giving them too much technology and Hiroshima is him flying too close to the sun. I honestly, I like my laugh at first was not for the idea. It was for the Festus being responsible for uh, the Manhattan project that is still kind of wild to me. Um, wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Actually that idea would be better, right? Like the idea that like Icarus uh, helped create this technology out of a, you know, maybe because he knows about the mission. He's like, well, this kind of energy that comes from nuclear power would allow you to get fur- uh, us to get further to our goals, right? Like that would directly tie it into the whole point of his mission and would make sense. But nah, it's the one gay superhero's fault because he wanted to give people technology and people used it badly and i mean okay i the whole tech thing by the way can i just this is a real uh small thing to quibble about but i'm quibbling on a lot of things with this movie so i might as well why are they shit talking the plow man the plow was revolutionary the plow (laughs) fed so many people and enriched so many lives and they introduce is like, oh, fine, if I can't have my steam engine, they can just have a fucking plow. Those losers. Those fools. Like, plows are great! Plows changed farming forever! Civilization as we know it could not have existed without the plow. That should have been hype. I'm just... I really feel like they, they lost... They lost sight of the important things here. I'm team plow. I... I can't even take that seriously. I can't even take that's like, out of all the things you could criticize about this movie, you're like, and one more thing, the goddamn plow. How, how mean were they to the plow? I think, like, I come think on. everything you need to know about me as a human being is that I'm being at least 60% serious in this critique. Like, in the theater I watched that, I'm like, what did the plow do to deserve that joke? Like, the plow's great. There's... You're, you're the guy that when they invented the wheel was like, but we could keep dragging everything on the ground. Why do we need a wheel? That's an extra step. That's unnecessary. What happens I'm if it breaks? So I'm saying that the wheel, like, we should be celebrating these little... Doesn't matter. There's so many other problems with this film. Um, which... Okay, well, let's, let's, let's take a pause. Let's take a pause on the problems. Talk about something good. What was something that you actually, like, enjoyed in the film? Hmm. Something I enjoyed in the film. So not a post-credits thing, because that would be cheating. Um, Right, we'll get to the post-credits stuff here. um, I think the biggest positive has a lot to do with Chloe Zhao. Um, Chloe Zhao is a good filmmaker. Obviously, she's pretty young on the scene, and um, she got the uh, Best Picture nod uh, last year, um, thanks to Nomadland, which was an incredible film that I highly recommend people go check out. one of my top five from last year. Uh, And I think she does a really good job of just, you know, kind of portraying nature and putting nature and scale to the heroes. Like there are some really beautiful shots in this film. 
especially, you know, like the CGI things with the Celestial at the end, like it's a cool effect, but it's the earlier shots where you see like Icarus contrasted with the giant mountains behind him, or you see, you know, just the, the grand scope of nature and its beauty as something that inherently is worth protecting, I think is done very, very well. Um, I think that as far as acting performances go, Gemma Chan as Cersei did a good job. She's a very likable actress. Um, I, I think her performances have a level of sincerity that is easy to get behind and that uh, props her up in a way that makes uh, it exciting to see uh, where that character goes next. Um, Camille Najani as uh, Kingo was great. Um, I did find it fascinating. It, they obviously didn't touch on it very much at the end, which is another thing where I feel like they set up a character moment and whiffed. Um, but him leaving and just being like, look, I don't support what you guys are doing, so I'm not going to help in the climactic final fight, but uh, I'm not going to hurt you guys either. Like, that was such an interesting character choice. And it would have been really fun to see them come back to it at the end and, like, talk to him about whether he regrets that or not and, like, have him maybe conflict a little bit rather than simply saying, oh, don't worry about it. The choice has been made, so I'm clearly over it. Like... It could have been interesting to, to delve into it more, but I thought that that was a more interesting dynamic that we don't see in a lot of superhero films. The idea of, like, I... You know, so much it's it's X character versus Y character, and they can't agree, and so that's how the fights happen. That's the whole premise behind Civil War. And so to have someone be like, no, nah, there's a third option. I can just fuck off somewhere else. Um, I thought it was actually quite refreshing. Um... Gilgamesh was fun. I wish they hadn't killed him off because uh, I really enjoyed his character and thought there was a lot more to offer, but uh, I liked what we got from him. Uh, Harish Patel, the, the who played uh, Karun, Kingo's valet, was great. Uh, the how do you still have more cameras joke uh, never got old. Highly appreciated that. Uh, I'm done. Yeah, I, I'm done. <laughs> well, like we said earlier, like we, I, I personally don't want to um, take any of my critiques about the film out on the actors because I think in general, like they did a very good job across the board. I completely agree with with Gemma Chan. Uh, I, I was rooting for her the entire time. Like there was a a true sincerity to her character that I also think that um, Lee Lee as Sprite, I think the sort of contrast between the two of them helped further that sincerity. And again, the, like you said stoniness, but I'm just going to say like, it was almost serial killer esque the lack of emotion that Icarus was showing in regards to anything except Cersei, like directly. Um, the scene where he eventually like kills Ajax is again, it's, it's cold. It's, this is someone that, you know, the others treat as almost like a mother figure, um, especially towards him. And for him to just like sacrifice her because she's going to ruin this, this grand plan that the Celestials have is, it is troubling. 
Um, and it is definitely like when they show up there and they see the deviants there, it's like, oh, this is the moment where he, he, he turns. Like, it's very obvious what's happening in that moment. But there is still a little shock to it of how dispassionate he is about it, that he is so focused on the grand mission. And I don't want to tread retread ground, but to me, the mission is Icarus flying too close to the sun. Um, that he just, you know, gets rid of her and then takes her back and then has that one one moment where he breaks where he, you know, shoots the lasers out of his eyes. But then again, he's back to this just stone-faced soldier that it's it's only about the mission. And even when he betrays his friends, there's no Anakin Skywalker, I hate you. It's just business. And that really helps make Cersei look that much more human, that much more emotional and and wants an outcome that's good for everyone but also she's lived here for so long and she every interaction that she has with humanity is helping humanity and learning about humanity and trying to become more human and it does say something to the effect that the characters that wanted to become more human are all on one side and sprite and icarus end up on the other side um but that the punishments that they both endure are are so polar opposite that Icarus it is it's his decision he's choosing what his punishment is and he flies off into the sun ha 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 and that Sprite sort of leaves herself up to the will of the rest of them and Cersei gives her what she wants which which is I to know okay I understand why they did that one because the actress is going to continue to age and they can't keep that going for forever but like, oh man, it turns out we have exactly enough power to do this thing that at no point before or after we will hint is even possible. Um, it was very neatly wrapped in a tight bow for something that wasn't necessarily earned, right? Like Sprite didn't necessarily do the right thing in the end had it not been for uh icarus finally coming through i i don't know man it felt very cheap uh and hollow to me um because it it didn't feel like it because it felt so tacked on like we just well we need an excuse for the actress to grow up so um here you go um i mean i i I guess that's a cynical way to look at it. I That's not what's sprung to my mind of like, oh, well, this actress is going to get older and we have to. But it's just, why would that be a power that, that they. Like, the only power that Gemma has shown to have is the ability to manipulate one thing into another thing. So, like, if you wanted to make it make sense with another thing, why not just change Sprite's form, right? Like, rather than removing the concept of their immortality and aging uh and allowing her to age as a result why not just make her look more like uh like the adult that they want to be right like that would make more sense in line with the powers that they've introduced and would go along the same way but uh they didn't and instead they made up a power at the last he, second that they can't do again because it was the one time we had just enough left over walter which they know what to do with that leftover energy because 
Yeah. It's Sprite is not about she doesn't just want to be an adult. She has been a child for so long on Earth and has seen everyone grow up that as much as she expresses disdain for humanity as she tries to side with Icarus, that's only because she's in love with Icarus and just wants to go back and get another shot at maybe just being an adult, you know, for whatever you know body that the Celestials put her in. But the reality is that she wants to experience being human. And if you just age her up to whatever age makes her happy that she's then equivalent with the other Eternals, she doesn't experience that journey. It's just a snap of the finger and boom, now you're an adult, now you can drink alcohol. And sure, because now you're older, you'll now be able to experience other things. You'll be able to experience, you know, uh, I remember the scene where they're in the bar and the guy goes to touch her hand and because it's an illusion, it goes through. Like, she'll be able to experience love. She'll be able to experience being an adult in that way. But at some point, it won't be enough for her. And then she'll become... Uh, jaded again and then because then she wants to experience we're gonna have a second film right like why do we have to make up a power at the last moment to make everything wrapped up in a tight bow when this isn't a power that anyone is demonstrated to have or even be capable of having until it just happens that they have exactly the right amount of leftover magic to do the thing like it there are so many ways to do that uh, that make a little bit more sense with the characters that they built and with the powers that they had established, but they picked the one that allows them to maintain the same actress because continuity is important. And that's how aging works, which, I mean, I don't know. I'm picking, I'm nitpicking to a certain extent. Would you rather, would you have rather Cersei turned Kit Harrington's character into a giraffe? I mean, is that what I'm just we're going saying be, here that Kit Harrington asked first, be so consistent. he it? Either she can turn people into these things or she can't. There's not a, like, powers shouldn't have the, like, in parentheses, sometimes next to their name, right? Like, that seems to be, like, because it's not going to come up again. There's never going to be another moment in which Gemma, like, is able to remove people's mortality, you know, immortality. Like... Like, they specifically make a point of this being a one-time thing. And I think once you're doing that, if you're starting to make powers based on what is useful for the narrative in a singular moment, you've lost the point of why power sets exist in the first place, theoretically. But to be clear, um, this is something that I am picking on because I didn't care about Sprite, um, Sprite was a very, I, 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 I appreciate where you're coming from with the character. I, I didn't care for how it came off. Just, I, I don't know if it's a performance thing or if it's a script thing, but I I found her to be uh, very annoying and frustrating rather than engaging or interesting. Um, she just kind of had she she wasn't she her motivations outside of i am in love with icarus weren't very clear and when the two things 
should have come to a head, like there should have been an internal conflict between Gemma, uh, uh, Cersei, the person that she's known uh, for so long, and the person that like she's lived with and been friends with for all this time, and Icarus, someone who has been gone for a hundred years. Like, there's no hesitation. There's not a single moment at which they ever reflect on... There's a lot of character conflict that just wraps up very neatly because the plot needs to go forward, which is fine in a different kind of film, but this film is trying to make these grand statements on morality and the nature of existence such that, like, you can't take the cheap route and have it still land. That's not the story that you chose to tell. You, you you opted into this, Eternals, um, and and so the the unwillingness to to deal with that when we've got two hours and thirty seven minutes of content otherwise it was just I felt like their focus was on the wrong thing basically the entire movie, and they didn't the the split focus really hurt it ultimately in my opinion. Um, I feel like had they just done the Icarus thing or just done the Deviance thing um, and saved the other part for the second film, you could have had a film that was at least 45 minutes shorter, was a lot more cohesive, had much more thematic resonance in paying off the individual arcs of that film. Like, I, I think that would have been stronger. And you could have done so by just... I mean, if you're going to kill off Gilgamesh anyway, just don't have him in the fucking film, right? Like, you didn't have to spend time setting up a character that you knew wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, just a lot of perplexing decisions on this one. So let's talk about <laughs> Druid. <laughs> I, I, I... I don't have anywhere else to go with that because I, I understand where you're coming from and it does feel like there is a lot of split focuses in this movie. Um, but instead of, like, as polar opposite to Dune, I am invested in these characters and curious about what happens afterwards. Like, what happens next to these characters in a way that I did not get from Dune at all. I am intrigued to see what happens with uh, with. Uh, Gemma and the rest of them getting captured and are going to be like put on trial. I am intrigued with uh, Thena and Druig and uh, Makari like going off into space and the post credit scene that we have that we'll get to in a minute. But you have um, particularly pointed out Druig and we have talked about sort of mind control in the MCU uh, when we talked about Black Widow and referencing back to the, the Jessica Jones series. consistency so, in all Marvel properties before this is that mind control is bad and manipulating others to your will is bad and should be stopped. And in this film, apparently it's fine because he's a good guy deep down. We swear, Pinky promise. I am baffled that Druig was ridden the way he was, but more importantly, was accepted without reservation from the rest of the group, right? Nobody points out how deeply fucked up it is 
to run a cult by manipulating people's minds because that's what he's doing. It's a fucking cult. Like it's they made a compound in the middle of nowhere in which everyone is reliant on him and his leadership. And if they ever speak out against it, he just controls them. Like, how is that not villain shit? That's absolutely straight up villain shit. And they just drop it like it's nothing. And they're happy to have him there. And his motivations are never called into question again. It is the worst idea for a character in a plot like this that I think I have ever seen in the superhero film. And the fact that they didn't talk about it at all is just wild to me, given everything else this film says that it's about. Like, did it bother you as much as it bothered me? Because I, I, I saw that as like a condemnation. This movie cannot recover from this moment. Um, no, I'm actually going to... I will agree with you that they did not talk about it enough. Um, but I, I don't think it is as egregious uh, to me personally as it is to you. I think that, one, we don't really see how he created the commune um, as a whole. Uh, so we don't know whether he went out and like kidnapped people and forced them under his mind control and then puts them there. The times where we do see him mind like he isn't mind controlling them the entire time that they're there. He mind controls the one gentleman when uh, they first show up there, and that's like that is him showing like yeah I'm here. Uh, and then during the fight, he then mind controls them to pick up weapons and shoot. But I think the, what they really do miss here is that Druig, in the scene where they're in, um, uh, in the Aztec temples and the uh, Spanish have come through and are just killing everyone, there is, a direct, there is an argument between Druig and Ajax about the best way to move the planet forward. And granted, learning what you learn across the rest of the movie, you totally understand why, like, oh yeah, you don't want a utopia. But Druig is like, we can do better. I can do better. We can get rid of all this, and this can be a peaceful, again, utopia of a place. So the concept of him going out into the middle of the woods, into the middle of the Amazon, and trying to prove his experiment, because that's what he does. He, he generates a thesis that says, if I could stop the conflict, humanity would be better off. And he goes out and he does that. And we don't know, we don't know how much conflict they've had from outsiders. We don't really know the interactions of what happens with the commune because they don't talk about it. We just have this one moment where the rest of the Eternals show up. They have this conversation where they try to convince him, hey, come help us. You were against the plan all along. Come help us stop the Celestial. And he's like, no thanks, fam. I'm good. And then his peaceful utopia is attacked right. by the Deviants. And when you get to the moment where... He is, he is, he is being a bad villain with mind control powers, forcing these people to stay. Cersei convinces him to let them leave. And I guess if you want to talk about what, if you want to bring up what, you know, not talking about it enough, they should have brought up his experiment ultimately ends up failing. Because when a conflict happens, when, when danger happens, he has to force them to stand and fight. They don't willingly choose to stand and fight. And I think that's what's missing from that entire sort of discussion is that we're missing some of the details about how it's run, the, the history of it, how it's established, all that. But then when the moment comes for him to prevent conflict, he is forced to use his powers in a negative way that then puts all these people into harm's way and has to be reminded that that's, 
that's not allowing the humans to make their choice. That if at the end of the day you are going to force them to die, then you are no better than the, what you're trying to protect them from. Um, so I will agree there is a lack of nuance in the discussion of how it, they handle that. It just, but even in a version in which Druid doesn't use his mind powers to convince them to come out to the commune in the first place, that's cult shit, right? Like if someone did that in real life without any of these powers, we would call that a cult and we would probably have some concerns about it. And we know that he's at least using the powers sometimes because he uses it so casually when his friends show up. So like... He's at least cult leader plus in the most generous definition of what he is up to. I just, I don't think that you can paint someone with that skill set as a positive character. I don't think it's possible. I don't think at the very least, you know, or I should say at the very best, maybe you can paint an anti-hero, right? Someone who has enough good intentions to not be a villain, but has enough questionable means where you can't put him in the hero, but no one treats him as an anti-hero. They treat him as a pure good guy the entire rest of the way. And that, to me, is um, deeply flawed in terms of how this film approaches its characters in a way that I find it very hard to work around. I, I don't know how you, uh, I don't know why you would build it that way, right? Like, if you wanted to have him more sympathetic, why not have him living out in a commune, but like, he's, I don't know, maybe he's alone now because he tried it and he realized what he was doing and it didn't work. And so now he's just like, I've given up on people because I can't do it my way and we can't do it the other way. And so I guess I can't do it at all. Like, that would be at least sympathetic, right? He learned his lesson. He knows better now. We never really get that from him. Well, then he'd be a hermit and not a druid. <laughs> oh, I walked into that one. Yep, that was that <laughs> well done. I just, man, I, I, there's a version of the script in which druid is not there at all. And... The script is probably better for it. It feels like the only reason they had to have him so easily get back in the Eternal's good graces is because they wanted to set up the fake out that like, oh, he's going to have to use his mind thing to control the Celestial. Which, like, would that plan have worked? Like, even in a, in a perfect world? It seems like a bad plan, even in an ideal situation. Like, plan B of Cersei having to do her thing always seemed like the better plan and should have been positioned as plan A, except she's like, nah, I can't do it. So they're like, okay, well, let's go with our terrible mind control plan then. Um, well, I, I guess the argument there is that Cersei understands because she kills that deviant that what she does will kill the Eternal, or will kill the Celestial. And she doesn't want to do that because she doesn't want to take a life. That is, like, her prerogative is that it is, it is, the Celestial has as much right to existence as humanity. However, 
like you can't trade the one life of the celestial for all of that of humanity but then if you don't trade all of humanity then the celestial can't go out and create all the additional solar systems and ethics ethics morality blah 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 so they come up with this other plan that are like well druid can just put it to sleep for a period of time until we can come up with a proper solution and you're right, like, that's dumb. You know what the proper solution is. It's you sacrifice the life of one to protect the lives of seven, eight billion people. The people that you've grown up and that you cared about and that you cultivated into the civilization that it is, despite how flawed it is. Um, so yeah, like, it's, it's a poor plan, but you're right. They have to do the fake out to then make the the fight between Icarus and the rest of them more intense because it's, hey, we tried the middle ground and that didn't work. So now ultimately we have to make a decision, yay or nay, and set up the battle lines very clearly. And then, uh, yeah, let our boy, uh, let our boy Festus go <laughs> off. You go, King. Festus. Holy crap. I, I honestly like, he like he was awesome. I liked him as a character in terms of like the, the, uh, the like technology and like that was really cool and then ground and then the libraries like I always wanted to ground you and like has him t- tethered to the ground is is such good banter, um, but yeah I mean it's a flawed plan and I understand where you're coming from of Druig as a character that the mind control aspect is inherently there's an inherent level of of villainy and and evilness to it but. I guess it's just because it's further along the scale of how it impacts other people. I mean, at any point, any superpower can be used for villainy. Sure. Inherently, it can be used for villainy. We've seen, we've seen like all manner of supervillains with different superpowers that have used them for evil things. But yeah, I I do get where mind control is a little bit further down that spectrum. I think that's the big key there, right? Yeah. Is like, Free will is something that we value more than anything. I, I think it's kind of an innate fear, right, of people feeling like they can't control their own actions because our ability to control those things is literally all we have as human beings. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I, I appreciate what you said there because I, I think I didn't quite get that read on her but that certainly makes her on her motivations but I, I think that certainly makes more sense as far as why Cersei would have avoided that as a plan a beyond just a lack of confidence in her powers ability to do so i think ultimately the thing that sinks the film for me and why i'm as harsh on it as i am is because so many of these moral quandaries they just chose to set it up and then punt. Um, it happened here. Uh, it happened with a lot of the Icarus stuff. It happened with a lot of the Sprite stuff. And it happened at the very end of the film where that natural disaster, right? Like the Celestial popping up, even as much as he did, would kill millions of people, right? Like that level of shift in seismic forces um, would have caused a uh, so many ripple effects of tsunamis and other sorts of storms and just flooding that would have destroyed so many people. And we get a TV clip of two weeks later, and it's just like, ooh, look at this weird rock formation that showed up. It's like, oh, wow, this really, none of it mattered, huh? Like, because this happened in a non-Avengers film 
this is not going to be seen as a traumatic event that reshaped the world as we know it, because that would be a bit of a downer, I suppose. Um, well, when you get rid of half the world's population with a snap of your fingers, like literally anything millions else, millions would be dead. It would have reshaped entire ecosystems. Like this is. 4.5 billion people. We would talk about it at least, right? Like it wouldn't we wouldn't just move on. We we talked about the we yes, talked about the attack on New York for years, and that shit was nothing compared to what happened in this film. Like literally, it is unreal and unbelievable that it had such a little impact as the film seems to imply, and that's really what this film ends up being for me. Like. None of it matters. It doesn't change anything. It establishes who characters are for a future film. Sure, I, I get why you're comparing it to Dune and that, like, this feels like setup. But at least with Dune, like, it's all meant to be a singular story that just so happens to be, brought, you know, split into two parts because of the realities of film production. Um, because of the realities of like how much needs to be captured in a singular story. This story did not need all two hours and 37 minutes of its runtime to be told, but if you were going to use two hours and 37 minutes of runtime, there's no reason that so much of this movie has to feel incomplete or like it's just touched upon and then dumped because we need to get to the next thing. Um, have a team half as big and discover the rest of the Eternals as part of the end there for part two. Like, it's so... There's so many ways you could have done it. And they chose none of them. So, we're here. Nothing matters. It's fine. See you for the next Marvel film. That's that's why you... Like, everyone... Uh, <laughs> like, that's what everyone was talking about, right? Like, when you look at, like, people talking about this film... I see way more conversation about what happened in the post-credits than I do about the movie itself. And that, I think, is a damning statement. Which, yeah, yeah, let's... Which, yeah, let's move to the post-credits here. Let's move to, uh, you know, the the unveiling of uh, Harry Styles entering the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a Star Fox, uh, Eros, the brother of uh, Yeah, of Thanos. Thanos' brothers in Eternal... Um, Good team. I had no clue who that character uh, was. None. I, zero. I was just like, I, I I, don't know the context here. Like, both of the after credit scenes, I had to Google after I walked out of the theater to be like, why do I care about this? Which I'm going to say now is a criticism that I have of Marvel. That they have, they have used up all of their big guns until they bring in mutants. That now they are, for a non-comic book person, they are starting to scrape the barrel. And now these teases mean almost nothing. Uh, because I have to go research them. Yeah. I Does that make appreciate sense? appreciate that. I mean, honestly, like, I have no problem with post-credits things being things that are, like, only there for the diehards that really understand it and just give a brief introduction for the rest of us. Like, I didn't know Star Fox um, heading into this. I don't really love that if you look at his fictional character biography the, on Wikipedia, the first subheading is allegations of sexual assault. Um, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say that's not the direction Marvel takes the movie version. 
Um, but that's a thing that happened apparently. Um, but hey, I, you know, why not have Thanos' brother show up? Um, why not bring in Harry Styles into the Marvel Universe? People are going to pop off for it. It's, uh, like, I don't know. It felt very fanservice-y between that and, like, Patton Oswalt playing Pip the Troll. Um, but what else are mid-credits for? Well, that's how I knew this guy was a good guy. Yeah, that's how I knew he was a good guy. Is he's got Pat Oswalt yes. as his sidekick. Like, oh, I'm like, all right, this is a good guy. This is not a villain, which I'm kind of curious, like, what kind of villain is now going to be in this sort of celestial, uh, Eternals aspect of things. But, again, we didn't have a great definition of what the villain was in the first movie, so... Eh? And then, and then the, the piece de resistance, the what I needed throughout the entire film, because the entire time I was like... Why is Kit Harrington in this movie? What what is he doing in this movie? This seems like a waste of a of a, a a big name actor that you could be using for something else. And then again, like he pulls out the the ebony blade, ebony blade, and I have to be like, I don't understand any of this. None of this makes sense to me. And I had to Google, and I was like, Oh, cool, he's a knight. Yeah. Uh, not Dope. just any knight, the good old black knight uh, with a sword of pure darkness that he wants to use. Which that yeah, really helps with talking. I, <laughs> I appreciate. Um, uh, honestly, like that scene exists for two things. One, don't worry, we're giving Kid Harrington a sword. Uh, and two, uh, we got uh, Mahershala Ali uh, making his debut as Blade. Voice alone, obviously, but still. Um, and Mahershala is one of the best actors working today. I uh, got multiple Oscars under his name, yes. and I am so excited for Blade. And I think that's the trick with Marvel, right? Is like even if you don't like the individual film that you're watching, look at how all these other things connect, right? Look at all these stories that we're going to tell, and those stories are still exciting, right? Um, and I, you know, I, I give it credit for that. Like, it deserves. Um, you know, the marketing team at Marvel deserve all of the credit in the world for getting people to pop off for characters that otherwise would not be in the public consciousness at all, right? Like, there is something impressive about that. I just... Yeah. It's... Eternals... I, I, I mean, I think I've said everything I, ha I have to say about Eternals. I kind of want to let you do closing thoughts since I've been so relentlessly negative. Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, it, it was very hard watching this movie not to compare it to Dune in terms of the, it's, it's kind of long, it's boring at parts, it has to do a lot of exposition and explanation just because, personally to me, but I think to a greater audience, a lot of people don't know anything about this, these characters or this sort of setting or the, the Marvel mythology about them. Um... And at the end of the day, it didn't fail the one thing that Dune failed that really killed that movie for me, which is that I actually cared about some of these characters. Um, Gilgamesh dying, like, I know it didn't have a lot of impact on the plot, but I felt some, I felt the pain that Thena would, like, I understood why Thena would, would really take a lot of pain in that. I, I agree, that character was very underutilized, but was probably the best defined out of all the characters in the movie 
of and he's filling a trope. He's filling the big, beefy, I'm the strong, super strong, like fighty boy. But also, like he cooks, and when he is told that Ajax dies, has a very emotional reaction to it that is almost on par with Cersei. Like how, how much it affects him, to him, to the stone kind of pit bull that he is supposed to be, um, and. I want to find out more about these characters. I want to see what the the next movie with with Thena and Druig and Makari and then interact you know interaction with Star Fox there. I want to find out what's next for for Cersei and Kingo and Sprite and Fastos. Like I I want to learn more about these characters and see what the future holds for them and how they interact with the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole granted it's probably gonna be a while until we see these characters again um we're probably gonna get like a star fox movie out of it uh, in like two three years um i don't care about harry styles like it'd it, be fun all right cool you gotta uh, uh, yeah like i okay whatever there'll probably be a musical set piece in it although pat oswald and him they could make one hell of a musical superhero fun. movie like now that I think it, about that, that it'd actually be could nice be nice cool. to give that could be um, Macari something um, to do. It kind of is wild that like when they're doing the roundup yep. to go get everybody, uh, Macari is just sitting in the ship, literally waiting for everyone. Like she didn't want to go out and live a life, and that's never touched on because of course it isn't. Um, <laughs> I will say this: just a couple of stats off the top. Um, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is an eighty percent. Uh, the uh, critic rating is 47%. It is the only Marvel Cinematic Universe film that uh, got uh, not fresh from critics. Uh, even Thor The Dark World got a 66%. So a huge drop-off for them. That is bad. Um, like... Eternals uh, opening box office was $71 million, which is like $30 million more than Dune, uh, to give an idea of just, again, Marvel openings continue to be quite... Uh, quite strong. Um, that said, uh, it has fallen off uh, a little bit in terms of uh, overall gross. Currently sits at 49th among all Marvel properties, which include all the X-Men things and whatnot. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like Box Office Mojo does just the cinematic universe anymore now that there's just too much crossover with some of the um, in-between stuff with Sony uh, and the dr morbius film that's coming out i somehow missed that one yep. i huh yep hmm but yeah i yep. mean look uh i think eternals they certainly made their money back i'm sure that we will see them again at some point i i like you i kind of expect there to be a star fox movie that saves everybody and then once everyone has been saved maybe arksham is the new big bad like Literally, he's larger than the entire planet, so, like, seems like a good guy to have as a world-changing villain, though I don't know how you justify him not just crushing Earth in his fist, you know? That, that'll be an interesting one to see them try to solve with a being that huge, but, you know, that's for future us to find out, I suppose. Um, curious, those of you <laughs> listening, uh, let us know if you're on Team Chase or Team Walter on this one. Um, very curious to see how uh, you listeners came down on it. 
Yeah, I mean, I I would say that like if Chase Chase's point is the Icarus, I'm probably more the Kingo. Like I'm not full on like Cersei, like full on the other way. I'm like it was decent. It was okay. Chase, you know our random uh, random scoring scale. What uh, what do you give it? I I mean, if I was gonna do it on a scale of one to five stars, this gets a one and a half from me. I deeply disliked this film, uh, despite a couple of positives uh, that we did point out about it. Um, what about you? Uh, I mean, I'm probably like, oh, like five and a half solar systems not in existence because the Celestial didn't get four out of ten. Like, it, it, I left the movie oh, feeling entertained. And not feeling like I wasted a bunch of money. It also helped that I went on a Tuesday and the tickets were cheaper because it was also a matinee. So it was only like seven bucks to see it. So uh, that probably uh, helps. You know, it didn't help me um, (laughs) being sat behind a row of 12 eight-year-olds that were clearly there for a birthday party. And whose parents had clearly not prepared them for how to behave in a cinema. I literally had to get up and move at one point. It was so rough. Um, but hey, who may, maybe, nah, I was about to say maybe future me in a different format would, uh, would enjoy it more, but there's no way I'm watching this again. Absolutely not. (laughs) Chase, eternal you on a different planet, like billions of years from now, when your memories have all been erased, might enjoy this movie. I I think that's, that's accurate. And where would people be able to find Future Eternal You on Twitter? Well, I don't know about Future Eternal Me. I sure hope that if we live long enough for a resetting of the universe, that we're not still stuck on Twitter of all things. But in the off chance that we are, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar uh, on Twitter. Uh, and you can find the pod at Rough Drafts Pod. Um, always love hearing from you guys. Yeah, and you guys uh, can always find me at C80s underscore LOL. Um, you know, we've done some, we've done a lot of action movies here. We've done some superhero movies. And I think for the next episode, I really think we need to bring the house down and we need to add some style yes. to the podcast. So until then, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>